Hey, this is Dan Reeves. I'm the lead pastor of Journey Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Welcome to our podcast. Before we get going, we just want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. We believe that you matter, not only to us, but to Jesus. Our hope is that you find something new and life-giving in Him today. Here's today's message. Okay, all right. Smooth. All right. <laughs> well, welcome to the Imperfect Church. Uh, we're glad that you're here today. Uh, we're in the middle of a series through the book of Exodus through the summer, uh, and we're going to be back in that today. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 uh, and 4, and we've got a lot of ground co- to cover, so I'm going to jump in pretty quick. Uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we always invite you to stop by the Welcome Center, pick one up. Uh, it'd be our free gift to you. We'd love for you to have that. Uh, we believe that Scripture is God-breathed. It is our final authority for uh, life, and it helps us to become who God has created us to be. And so this summer is an interesting journey uh, of sorts as we're walking with God's people as they leave captivity in Egypt, uh, and God forms them into a nation. We're calling the series Dwell because uh, it really has everything to do with dwelling in the personal presence of God and walking with the personal presence of God. Uh, We've covered a lot of ground in the first couple of weeks, all right? So if you're traveling over the summer... Uh, I invite you to go back. Uh, you can always uh, tune into YouTube and our podcast. We've got on Apple and Spotify, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's on Facebook. I mean, you can, you can find it on our website. Uh, there's a lot of places to track along with us. So if you are traveling, I invite you to do that or, or tune in with us. But uh, there's going to be a lot of ground that's going to build off each week, uh, and we can't really rehash everything. So please stay engaged with us over the course of the summer that way uh, if you are traveling. Um, you know, one of the things that we've already learned uh, is when we engage with God, when the people of God engage with God, and when God enters in, oftentimes uh, it causes more questions than it gives answers. Uh, one thing that we uh, really try to uh, kind of emulate as a church uh, is being a place where we don't think that we have all the answers. Obviously, God does. Uh, but what we want to do is we want to be able to come into a place and walk out sometimes with even more questions than we, uh, than we found answers. And, and that's not to negate that you can come and find answers in a, in a church service or with God. We, we certainly believe that. But we also know that God's big enough, uh, immense enough, that uh, the, act, the idea that we would have all the answers just from uh, being together for about an hour and a half, uh, that, that's a little bit arrogant for us to say. And so we want you to be able to come away uh, with questions. As a matter of fact, we believe that if you engage with God on any level, that you will have some questions. And uh, God appreciates transparency. We're going to see that today. We're going to see today that God engages on questions. So if you've got real questions, it's okay to have real questions about God. But I also want to encourage you with one question today. I want to encourage you sometimes with your questions to question your questions, to ask questions of the very questions you ask. Um, And today what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you one guiding question when questions come up that's going to hopefully give us uh, a little bit of a way, a template for when when the questions do arise for us to maybe walk through the questions and and to set a course. 
uh, because endless questions are daunting. They're, they're, they're confusing. Uh, and sometimes with faith and life, uh, if, if you walk away with so many questions, sometimes you feel like you're not getting anywhere. So today I want to give you one question that I think will help us by the end of today, which is going to be, which eye does your eye see? Now, that's not going to make a lot of uh, sense right out of the gate, but if you have a, a, some place to take notes, just write that down. Which eye does your eye see? Hopefully, that will take shape as we go. And what we're going to find out today is that the reason that we need to question our questions is because our questions can transform. Our questions can actually transform into excuses. Uh, excuses are a way to get out of an answer. Uh, it, it's not an answer. An escape is not an answer. Uh, a question, though, if it's asked with no direction, sometimes can lead to simply an excuse. And here's the danger about excuse in relationship to God is that our excuses can turn into disobedience. Uh, our excuses are, are not neutral. Our, our excuses with God are directional. Questions are directional, excuses are directional, and if not covered, if not addressed with uh, some kind of template or direction, then ultimately our excuses can lead to disbelief and they can lead to disobedience. And so today we're going to look at some excuses, uh, some questions that transformed in, in Moses, the leader that's being called to lead God's people, how his questions actually transformed into excuses, and how at the end of the day what God was trying to do is he was giving him a question, uh, I believe, at the end of this that really has everything to do with the question I just presented to you, which I does your eye see? So let's look at um, let's look at Moses' questions real quick. We're going to back up into chapter three for just a second and get a running start into chapter four. This is uh, where we spent a little bit more time last week in verse eleven. But Moses says to God, uh, "Remember, this is a burning bush where God has appeared, and He uh, has God has spoken to Moses, and now Moses has heard from God, and He says, who." Am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So the first question, the first excuse uh, is, who am I? Now, this sounds good, okay? And on some level it is because questions on the outside are good. Uh, when you say to God, God, well, who am I to do that? That sounds really humble, right? I mean, uh, if somebody uh, wants to, you know, uh, ask you to do something and say, hey, I think you're, you're the one to do this, uh, it may be the thing for you where you say something along the lines of, well, you know, like, who am I to do it? Uh, and you may be genuinely humble or you may be faking that thing. You might be acting like you're humble, uh, but you're like, oh, oh yeah, finally you asked me, you know, uh, or something like that. But this is one of those instances where uh, a genuine question becomes, uh, starts to drift and become an excuse. The question of who am I? This is leading to Moses in the hopes of, I think in his mind, of how do I get out of this? Uh, who am I? And then remember what God's response was. He says, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now we dug deep into this last week, but the reason I wanted to re-hit it is because this question, this excuse, uh, if you look at the original language, there's a play on words that we don't really get. Uh, translators do the best they can um, in trying to get us to understand this. 
but it loses a little bit of something in translation because what is introduced uh, in this part of the passage all the way down through verses 14 and 15 is this play on words where what Moses is doing is he's asking the question, well, who am I? And you know what God's going to say, right? God's going to say, I am. So this same phrase, I will be, is the same phrase or the same wording that we get in God's actual name. I will be is the same uh, phrasing of God's actual name that he gives to Moses. And so what is he introducing uh, to Moses? He's given him a template to ask a different question, to question his question, to say, who am I? And God says, I will be or God says, I am. So this is a fundamental question for Moses. Uh, God, you're asking me to go to deliver your people. Who's going to do the delivery? Uh, is it gonna be me? You're asking me to do this? Who am I to do this? And God says, no, the question is not, are you going to do it? The question is, am I gonna do it? Uh, am I going to be the one to do it through you? And so there's a fundamental shift every time we get into an engagement with God. Uh, I would say just on this excuse, uh, right alone, uh, there could some, some people in here right now, you're just engaged with God in a conversation as I'm talking. Uh, because this is reminding you of something God's called you to do, something that God has said to you to do, and you've been saying to God, well, God, who am I? And God would give you the same answer that he gives Moses. I will be with you. He introduces himself to you as I am. He says, I'm not actually asking you to do the delivering. I'm not asking you to do the task. I'm just saying, will you be available? Um, God is not asking a group of people to be extraordinary. He's asking us He's demanding of us, actually, to be faithful, uh, to be obedient to what he's called us to do. Um, I think sometimes uh, that's important for us just on a very simple level to remember because some of us, we read stories like Moses and David and uh, the apostles and all those kind of things. And we're like, oh, man, those must have been extreme, uh, extremely extraordinary people. Uh, but what you're seeing in this passage is there's nothing extraordinary about Moses. He is just like you. He has the same questions. He comes up with exact same excuses that you would come up with because God in the, in, at the end of the day chooses unextraordinary people. We would just call them ordinary people and he uses them to do extraordinary things. But it's not you and it's not me who do the actual work. It's God who works through us. And so the first excuse, who am I? God's gonna answer with his very self. Now, the second excuse, second excuse, hitting through him real quick, is he says, I don't know enough. Exodus 3.13 says, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Um, basically, he's just saying to God, well, God, you're asking me to do something, but you haven't given me all the information. Uh, and, and I just want to say this too on the outside is this is the way it always works with God. Uh, God calls us most of the time, I would say. In my life, I've experienced this. God calls most of the time uh, to an area where I don't yet know enough to lead through that. I can just learn through uh, my, own, uh, my own personal journey, okay? And everybody's got their own. Okay, so mine's not uh, the template for your life. It's my story. But I think there's some things that uh, correlate probably with yours. I can remember 
uh, feeling like I was uh, uh, called to ministry when I was in high school. I, I can remember that feeling of God was working in my life. Uh, I, I felt uh, uh, like I, I was supposed to teach. I felt like I was supposed to lead. I always kind of had ideas about things and stuff like that. Um, and I remember um, feeling so inadequate uh, to do this. Uh, and so what did I do? I said, well, I, I've got to go get trained. Uh, I have to go get trained. So I went to college and got a biblical studies degree with Greek and Hebrew and all that kind of stuff. And that kind of is just a really simple thing that uh, doesn't seem like a big deal. But when I was a teenager in high school, God had called me to do what I'm doing right now, but I did not know how to study scripture. I did not know languages. I, I didn't know uh, a lot of things that, were gonna, that I was going to need. But what I did know is I, I did know that I did not know enough. And I did know that God was calling me. And that same thing happened. It repeated itself. Uh, I'll be 48 here in a couple of weeks. Uh, and that same thing has happened over and over again in my life. Uh, it's happened certainly uh, in marriage. Uh, when I was going to get married right after I graduated uh, college, it was like, I, I don't know. I don't really know how to do that. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Um, but I, I began to study God's word. I began to look at other lives. I began to do that. Being a dad, it's Father's Day. I, I've got four daughters now. I certainly did not know how to do that. All right. I still don't know how to do that. Um, but I entered in, this is what I'm doing, and I figure it out. Um, I, when I got my first, uh, when I preached my first sermon, when I uh, led my, got my first ministry job, uh, I can remember getting my first ministry job uh, this is kind of funny. Uh, it was a little church when I was in college and, and I interviewed, I got all dressed up in my suit and went to this little bitty church in South Arkansas. And uh, I was all dressed up and I was dressed a lot nicer than everybody there. You can only imagine, all right? Uh, I actually was, I was dressed in a suit and everything, went to my interview and the pastor there, the pastor, um, uh, it was an old gentleman and he, uh, uh, they had a search team and we're sitting around the table and uh, everybody's asking me all these questions about how I'm gonna do youth ministry and what my thoughts are on this topic and that topic and finally this old pastor, he hits the table like that and he said, I just got one question for you, son and I was like, oh no. What is he about to ask me? You know, and I'm kind of just in the spur of the moment, I'm just rattling off all kind of questions. He says, do you believe the Bible? And I said, yes, sir, I do. And he goes, well, that's good enough for me. And I was like, that was the interview? <laughs> that's what it was? Oh, yeah, I believe it. Okay, well, good deal. And then they just handed me a youth group. Like, you know, they were like, hand me all these teenagers and say, hey, go, good luck. I think they were tired. But anyway, they, they handed me this thing and I didn't know what in the world I was doing. And then, um, through life, uh, I pastored my first church, planted a church. Uh, I can remember pastoring a church, and uh, the first time I got called, I was preaching there, and everybody, I mean, I was in my 20s, and uh, I, it was very daunting, very scary, because I was like, these people have heard all the sermons that I could ever, ever preach. Uh, they've been to all these Sunday school classes. They've been doing all this stuff. And I'm a 28-year-old kid out here. And I've got people in their 70s and 80s that have been through all this journey and all this life. How do I lead them? I don't know enough. Uh, when I came and pastored a college ministry, um, I don't know enough. When we became a campus and we launched that, we, had no, we hadn't done that before. When we became an autonomous church, I don't know enough. 
And even now today, I can tell you going into the future, I think God's calling us to do more. But I'm being honest with you, I, I don't know enough. I, I don't know how to do all those things. And I think there's just a genuineness too to Moses in this situation where there's an honesty. He's like, well, what am I supposed to say? I don't even know what to say to them. And so God gives him what to say. And the thing that he directs them back to is he says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, that's Yahweh, the covenant name of God, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. What is his answer? What is God's answer? God's answer is not robust. Uh, it's not a commentary. It's not an org chart. God's answer is himself. And there is a fundamental thing with excuse to is I don't know enough. Well, here's the thing is if you know God, you know the one who knows enough. And by default, that means that you have access to all the knowledge through the Holy Spirit that can grant you direction and discernment. As you walk with him, as you know him personally, as you develop into being able to hear the voice of God like we talked last week, as you study scripture and you develop and you grow as an individual, there is potential there if you follow God by knowing him to know the things you need to know to do what he's calling you to do. Some of you are about to be called to do things that you have no idea what to do. But I just wanna remind you that if you know Jesus, you know enough to start. It's much like what the apostles um, emulated for us in Acts. When they were out doing these extraordinary things, this same group of people that were a ragtag bunch of people that didn't even stay with Jesus to the cross, now they're leading this massive movement of God. I mean, it goes to a mega church overnight. These, these were, this was crazy times. And these people did not have the history except for one unifying thing. It's what people noticed about them. It says in Acts, it says that they noticed that these people had been with Jesus. By knowing Jesus, God then began to transform them to give them the knowledge to do what he was calling them to do. And so the excuse number two is I don't know enough. Well, God answers that with himself and we're gonna hit the fast forward button through this section, but it says, go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob appeared to me. And he said, I've watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt into a land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's roll on to the next thing because this introduces God's answer. He also says, I'm not sending you alone. In Exodus 3.18, the elders of Israel, um, I, I will listen to you. Then you, uh, sorry, excuse me, the elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord, our God. Now we're getting a 30,000 foot view, but look at God's answer. God gives him, himself, but some of y'all are saying, okay, well, that's great, but I still feel alone. 
because, I mean, I can't carry the burning bush with me, right? You know, like some of you are like, I'm in my prayer closet or I'm in, in the service. God's telling me to do this. That's all great. I feel really empowered right here. Uh, I feel really empowered. But there's a switch that goes on when you leave the place of the meeting with God and you're like, yeah, but now I feel like I'm completely alone. God wants to let you know that he's not only going to supply himself, but he is going to supply people to go with you. Because it is natural for us in, in moments of leadership to feel alone. Uh, that is part of leadership. Leadership, uh, uh, if you're leading any group of people in any arena, uh, especially I would say God's people, leadership is a lonely business. Uh, there is, a, there is a, a sense in which you have a burden, a mantle to, to carry that no one can completely understand unless they're there. But while that is a unique burden, what God also does is he wants you to not be alone. He wants you to know that I'm not sending you alone. It's interesting to me that uh, in this case, uh, God's telling them, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to send you to people that uh, presumably Moses does not already know. He's saying, I want you to go to the leaders of Israel and I want you to communicate with them first. I want you to talk to them. And when you talk to them, you're going to develop relationships and you're not going to be alone. God is going to send people with you. But here's the thing is you may not know them yet. The people that will go with you may, be not, may not be the people that are already with you. They may be people that God is going to introduce into the story so that he can actually do what he wants to do. And so what God does in this sense is he says, hey, I'm, I'm going to send you, but I'm not going to send you alone. And, and when I send you and, and you guys go together, when, when, when the group goes together, I want you to know that I'm actually, when, I, when you get there, I'm going to act. Watch what happens next in verse 19 and 20. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. Uh, so I'll stretch out my hand and I'll strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. He's like, you're going to go and you're not going to be alone, but the initial response is not gonna be acceptance to the message. And this is important, right, for us to remember today because most of us, if we try once, uh, we try to take the message once, or we tried it once, or maybe you tried to share your faith once, or maybe you tried to lead once, or maybe you tried to volunteer once, and it didn't go great. Your initial response was not, hey man, we're so glad you're here. You're a great leader. Uh, Obviously, you've spent time with God. We're going to listen to you. It's easy for us when we don't get that type of response, when the response is more like, no. Um, you say you meet with God, you met with God. Well, um, you and what army? Like, I'm God around here. That's basically what Pharaoh was going to say. And in this engagement, he's saying, listen, you're going to have to go in, and I want you to know that they're not going to respond immediately. Pharaoh is not just going to roll up the welcome mat for what I'm calling you to do. But I do want you to know that I, he's going to take, he's gonna take a, a, a mighty hand to compel him. And I want you to know that I'm going to stretch out my hand, and I'm going to strike the Egyptians I'm going to act emphatically through a move of God in this situation. And this is something that we've tried to rally around here over the last several weeks is just to recapture the idea that walking in the presence of God is a supernatural thing. That means that when we go into our ordinary lives, we're expecting the supernatural hand of God to move in our lives, to move in our situation, 
so that we don't go in and say, well, I'm gonna do the best I can. Yeah, you do the best you can, but you're trusting in God's strength. So God's not gonna send you alone. God is going to act. And then the last thing is, he's not only just gonna act, he's actually going to provide resources that you do not already have. God says, I'm gonna provide the resources for you. I'll make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people. Now, think about that phrase for a second. Favorably disposed toward this people. Up to now, they were making bricks without straw, right? I mean, they are, uh, they are underneath the thumb. They are underneath the heel of the most powerful nation the world to this point had ever seen. But now the mood is going to shift. The relationship is going to shift. And what God is going to do is he's going to call the very people that are oppressing them to actually provide for them. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to change the way they see you so that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Because, uh, you know, if you're Moses, you're thinking, okay, well, I, there's 2 million roughly people here. Like, well, what are we supposed to do with 2 million people? Like, I mean, how is that supposed to work? Well, God says, well, I've already got that, that base covered. It hasn't happened yet, but the resource, remember what the, where the provision is? The provision is at the edge of obedience, which s- stops most of us because we look at the bank account, we look at the current situation, and we say, well, based on what we have right now, we can't be obedient with what God's telling us to do. I, I don't see it. I, I don't see how it will ever work. But God promises when we're obedient that the provision is at the edge of obedience. And he says, every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Plunder, you will leave with the resources of the very people that made those resources on your back, off your labor. God will restore to you what has been taken from you. He will bring it back. And so you see how God's answering this question, right? God's answering this question with not what Moses is going to do. Every answer is what God is going to do. I'm not going to send you alone. I'm going to act and I'm going to provide. But Moses is not finished with the excuses because we don't just have one or two. We got multiple ones, right? Well, the excuse three is, what if they don't believe me? You're telling me to do all this. Moses answers, but what if they don't believe me or listen to me uh, and say, the Lord did not appear to you? And if you read the rest of the story, this is actually going to play out as reality. Okay, we're going to get into that over the course of the summer. But this is actually a very real phenomenon uh, because the leader has been meeting with God. The leader has been hearing from God. He comes before the people of God and they actually go through the process and they get to the other side. We're going to find out later in the story. And they're going to be asking this question over and over again, not just at the front end. It's going to be a repetitive question. Where are you? Uh, God, did you really speak to Moses? Why'd you bring us out here? What's going on? And so there's always this level of, uh, well, what if they don't believe me? Now, it's, it's interesting to me that Moses' fear in this situation, his excuse, doesn't deal anything with Pharaoh. Uh, it doesn't deal with the idea that he's going to go there and remember who he's running from. 
uh, he's running from Pharaoh for his life because there was a, basically there was a bounty on his head uh, because he had killed an Egyptian. And so the reason he's out here in the wilderness hanging out away from all that is for his own personal safety. He's got his own life that's going on now. But his primary question is not about what's going to happen to me and what Pharaoh is going to do to me. His primary question is, well, if I go to these people and I say to them, I've heard from God, they're not going to believe me. They're not actually going to believe that you spoke to me. If they know who he is at all, uh, it, you know, which most of them probably not even going to know because he's been gone for 40 years or whatever. But most of them, if, they, if there's anybody that does know him, they know him as someone that had murdered an Egyptian is, on run, uh, is running for his life. So why would we follow you? Why would we listen to you? And so Moses says this to God. God responds to him this way. Uh, well, what is that in your hand? Uh, this is so God. <laughs> like, he changes the subject. Jesus does this all the time. He, you know, he says, hey, what are they going to say? They don't going to believe me. And he says, he just says, well, what's that in your hand? And he says, well, it's a stick, you know, duh, like, you know. Uh, but he wasn't asking a rhetorical question. I mean, he was asking because he was, had a point. And the point that he makes is the Lord says, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. And then the Lord says to him, reach out your hand and take the tail. And so Moses reaches out, takes a hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And he goes on to say this in verse 6. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak. And when he took it out, the skin was leprous and it had become white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak. And when we had took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And it wasn't finished. Then in verse eight, the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground and the water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. So he gives three things all right, to this question, uh, it's a lot, a lot of stuff to process. But here's the thing that was really interesting to me. He says, what if they don't listen to me? And it's almost like God says, well, yeah, they're probably not going to. <laughs> That's what he, what he says. I mean, is that not what he says? If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, like you're going to do something really miraculous, but they're probably not going to believe you. And then they may believe the second, but if they don't believe these two signs or listen to you, then I'll give you another one. So this is the answer. There's no definitive like, okay, you're gonna go that, you're gonna go and, uh, I mean, it'd be a lot better if God, you said, hey, yeah, you're gonna go and I promise you they're gonna listen to you. But here's what God says is they may not. Some of them may not on the first time. They may not the second time. They may not the third time. See, God knows not just that he needs a sign, Moses needs a sign, but he also knows the people need a sign. And that makes sense, right? I mean, it makes sense because we live in a, in, in a, in a fallen state where we can't really see God. We, we are doing our best through his word. Thankfully, he's given us his word. Thankfully, he's given us Jesus. He's, he's given us the Holy Spirit. But we are in the process. We are already saved and not yet there. 
And so where we are right now as people, as individuals, is we struggle to see. I mean, Paul said that we, we see through the glass dimly what God is doing and what he's like. And so to acknowledge to God, God, I, I need to see you move. But then to understand that corporate dynamics, if you struggle to see God in your personal life, that is expounded exponentially when you get a group of people that are struggling to see together, to see collectively. That's why corporate leadership is hard. That's why church is hard. That's why uh, if you've ever been in a place in a church where there's some tension and you're like, well, I see it this way and I see it this way. That's why, because we're all struggling to see. And, And the reason for that is simply this, is that we are all coming together and we accept one another at a point where we're saying, we're gonna go through the process of following Jesus together. We're gonna follow God together. We're gonna look and we're gonna struggle to see. We're gonna listen, we're gonna search the scriptures. We're gonna be followed by the spirit. We're gonna be transformed into Christ. And as we do, we understand that it is a process at best. But the beauty of the grace of God is God meets us in the process. He walks with us through the process, this arduous thing called a life of faith. And so, you can see how God is continually fielding the questions, fielding the questions that are transforming into excuses. And there's two quick ones I wanna hit at the end of this because I think that they start to get to the heart of that initial question that I ask. The fourth excuse is, I'm not gifted. Moses then says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Now, if you, if you look at the original Hebrew, I'm gonna throw it up here. This is probably a more literal translation. He says, I am not a man of words. I am heavy, or you could use the word dull, of mouth and heavy or dull of tongue. I'm not a man of words. I did this on Father's Day, okay? Because some of you are not men of words. You're not people of words. Uh, this is not a, a particularly male trait. I'm just... Well, it was supposed to be funny, but nobody laughs, so it's not very funny. Uh, I'm not a man of words. Uh, you're asking me to go back and talk. I, I don't, I've got some problems with that. We don't know exactly what it is. Uh, some commentators have said and uh, theologians have said, well, he had a problem with stuttering. Uh, that, that may be it. Uh, some people have asked the question, maybe the language and the dialect, uh, he lost something in the language. And some people said it was just uh, in diplomacy. Like, you know, like, I mean, this is going, this is not just a conversation between friends. This is national diplomacy. He's going and he's actually meeting with um, uh, Pharaoh, uh, the most powerful force on the planet. And he's like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to engage at that level of diplomacy uh, to do this. And so whatever it was, all right, it could be stuttering, it could be language, it could be diplomacy. We, we don't really know what it was, but what we do know is that from his perspective, he did not have the gift set to do what God was calling him to do. So how does God answer this? Well, this is what he says. The Lord says to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who, who did that? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind, is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. The actual Hebrew in there says, I will be with your mouth. I will be with your mouth. Now take that 
that phrase for a second and go back up to where we started with, I will be with you, still the name of God. God will be in your mouth. You will have the very words of God to say. And this is the way that God always moves. Later in the New Testament, Paul would have uh, hit this real quick uh, for a New Testament reference, 1 Corinthians 2. Talking to a group of uh, early believers, he said this, Paul does, the Corinthian church. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble by birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And then finish it out real quick. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Why does God use lowly things? Why does God use weak things? Why would God choose to use you so that no one could boast before him? Even if um, you're particularly gifted in an area, like uh, you're gifted in leadership, you're gifted in speaking, you're, you're proficient, I mean, you're an obvious leader on your, in, your, in your field, right? Um, you're a great parent, whatever the thing is, you're great with finances. The question I think that would, would be thrown on you is, well, who gave you the ability to do that? Who gave you the mind to do that? Who gave you the experience to do that? It is the one who created you that gave you the ability. So whatever your gifts are, and whatever your gifts aren't, they all trace back to the same source. They all come from the one who made you. And so that means that before the cross, there's a level playing field in here. There's not somebody that has it all more, more together than you that says, okay, well, obviously they're the ones that should do that. They're gifted. I'm not. God gifts the people. You, the old way to say it, the old preachers used to say, he qualifies the called. Whoever God calls, he qualifies. He, he, he shapes you. He gifts you for the task. And so excuse number four, I'm not gifted. Well, God is the one who gets to make that decision. Not man, not organizations. God alone determines who's called to do what. And that leads to the final question, final excuse. Can't you find someone else? You've answered every question. Can't you find someone else? This is what sometimes when, when we call and ask you to serve in preschool, you say, well, can't you find someone else? Um, uh, this is a typical response. Can you find somebody else? Surely there's got to be somebody out there that you can ask. Surely, surely you can find somebody else. Not me out here. Well, you can see in this excuse that this is not a good faith question. What is this? Well, it's what excuses are. You know my definition of excuses? Excuses are questions looking for an escape. <laughs> your excuses are taking your questions and they're no longer questions, they are your escape plan. And some of you have become very adept at escaping God's call on your life. Every time a, a thing arises, you have a reason why you can't do it. A reason, but it's an excuse. An excuse transforms itself. It is not neutral. It will become disobedience. 
there's a point when the questions have to stop and you have to question your questions. Because some of you have asked your questions so long, your language is excuse and your lifestyle is escape. You're escaping God all the time, what God wants to do in your life, how God wants to use you. But this confronts in us, doesn't it? The way that God continues to be faithful and work. This is the first time in the situation where God actually is notably angry. He actually gets angry and this is how it finishes. The Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him, put words in his mouth and I will help both of you speak and I will teach you what to do and then finish it out real quick. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him, but take this staff in your hand and you can perform the signs with it. God's mad. God, I love this. I wish we're gonna probably need to do a series on the emotion of God <laughs> because some of us, we're so anti-emotion in songs and stuff like that. God's emotional. God gets upset. God gets angry. God gets sad. God gets happy. We are created in his image with these emotions and how we manage them is, is a whole deal, right? But God is angry. And it's almost like, it's like parents, this is what you do. Like you had this, you know, you, you got this conflict with your kids, your teenagers, something like that. And you're like, okay, fine, fine. And they're walking out the door and you say, hey, yeah, yeah don't forget your book. <laughs> you know, that's basically what he says. He's like, God's like, okay, yeah, 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 whatever. Just don't forget your staff. Just pick the stick up on the way out. Right? Because at the heart of this whole thing is just that one simple question. Which eye does your eye see? The whole thing was about whether or not he was going to see himself. What was the common trait in all of Moses' response? It was, but what about me? I don't have this. I can't do this. His eye was on himself. What was God continually repeating? I am. And the choice was about what you choose to place your eye on, which eye. So this is something that's helpful for me when I get bogged down in questions, when I get confused about what God's telling me and where he's leading us as a church and those type of things. And this is a struggle, this is real talk, this is real life. What am I focused on here? Am I focused on me or am I focused on you? Do I trust you or do I trust myself? Do I trust my own gifts or lack thereof? Do I feel like I'm going alone? I mean, put yourself in that same box because I'm not unique. It's the same story for all of us. It was certainly a story for Moses. So could you ask yourself the question right now, which eye does your eye see? Let's bow in prayer as the band comes out. Father, we thank you that you speak to us, that you meet with us. We thank you, God, that you're faithful and you're true. Uh, Lord, I have no doubt that you're moving in people's lives because uh, your spirit is always moving and your word is always true. And so, God, we ask right now that you would help us to shift where our eyes are focused on. Uh, it was easy for Moses to see God in the bush. It was a very unique thing. Uh, it was an encounter with God. But God was calling him to leave the bush and to go into the field and to go on a journey and change the rest of his life 
in obedience to him. Um, and he needed to know if you would go with him. And as you were shaping him, we, got, we pray, God, that you would shape us. Help us as individuals to see you and not ourselves. And God, it would be my prayer as a representative of this group of people, this body that belongs to you, that you would help us to turn our eyes and see you and you alone. It's in your name we pray. Amen.